there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, we are going to continue with a series we've been in for about five weeks now entitled Gone Fishing, where we have simply been looking at fishing stories that center in and around the life of Jesus. And in particular, uh, we've been looking about how these stories should motivate us, all of us, to be what Jesus calls fishers of men, to win people to Jesus so that Jesus could save them. And so far during the duration of this series, we've kind of looked at the who, the what, the where, and the when. Um, We looked at the who. Um, Jesus, when he says these words, is not just talking to the 12 apostles or, or the disciples. He's talking to all of us. We're all to be involved in ministry. The what is fishers of men. Uh, No matter what you do, if you're a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a pharmacist, uh, a clerk at Kroger, or a French fry maker at Walmart, I mean at McDonald's, um, or if you work at Walmart for that matter, every single last one of us, we all have a second career, and that is to fish uh, for souls, fish for men and women. We looked at the the where, uh, the marketplace. Uh, We're not going to win a lot of people inside of these walls. Uh, We've got to go outside into the marketplace, into what the Bible calls the the sea, and cast our nets. And then last week, we kind of pinpointed for a moment, and we talked about the when. When are we supposed to be fishers of men? Uh, And we we determined last week that now we should be. Um, not when we graduate from high school or graduate from college or after we start our career, um, not when we retire, not when we're financially able, but, but today uh, we leave this building and we should be on the lookout for fish that need to be caught. Um, so we've, like I said, we've looked at the who, the what, the where, and the when. Um, so let, let me share an, uh, an illustration. It's, it's hypothetical with you for, for just a moment. Um, Let's imagine, if you will, that I got up here today and said, hey, next Sunday, we're going to have this ginormous fish fry. Um, And we've invited the community, we've sent out invitations, and we've got a response of over a thousand people are going to be here next Sunday uh, for some free fish and chips. All right. And then I said to you, listen, don't try to reach out to me this week. Because I'm going to be on the Coosa River fishing. So if you try to call or you try to come by the office, I'm going to be busy because I've got to catch enough fish to feed this over 1,000 people that are coming to the fish fry. How successful do you think that fish fry is going to be? I, I'm, I'm a, I like to fish. I don't know that I'm a very good fisherman. Uh, I might catch enough during the week for me and my family and maybe another. But other than that, unless Jesus shows up, And does some multiplication like he did with the fish and the bread. uh, A lot of people are going to go hungry. Yeah? Okay. But what if we said this? We're going to have a fish fry next, next week, a week from today. And here's what I need. I need everybody 
need to stay in my box. Sorry about that, cameraman. I need everybody that's in here, everybody that was here at 9, everybody that's watching online. As soon as this is done, I need you to just go to your favorite fishing hole and start fishing. Some of you are watching right now. You're at the beach. Um, I need you to go deep sea fishing. Catch as many fish as you can. Go to the lake. Go to the rivers. Go to the pond in your neighborhood and just catch as many fish as you can. If we all did that, we might be able to pull it all off. When we talk about going fishing and being fishers of men, I'm not just looking in a mirror. It's not just my responsibility as your preacher. It's not just the staff's responsibility or the elders in the, in the deacons. It's a weight, it's a responsibility that Jesus commands all of us, I will make you fishers of men. And so with that in mind, today we're going to look at the why. Why do we fish for people? And then next week we'll close this thing out uh, as we look at how. How do we go about doing this? So today we're going to look at the why. Now, in order to get us set up and ready... Uh, for today's message, I want to share with you uh, some information that I learned in an article I read from, the, from this fishing website. Um, uh, and it was a fun article to read because the article was about kind of the, the weirdest or the craziest things ever found inside of a fish. So people will catch these fish and they'll go to clean them. And they've got all these crazy, some of these fish have all these crazy things in them. I'm going to share five of them with you. In 2014, a man caught a fish on Idaho's Priest Lake, and when he cut the fish open to clean it so he could eat it, inside the fish he found a human finger. Okay, my appetite's gone right there. I'm, a, I'm throwing that, that fish back. So, so he, he called the police and said, listen, I caught this fish. I found this finger. And so the police came out and informed him that four days earlier, uh, a man was in a wakeboarding accident where his, his fingers got kind of caught in the rope and it ripped four of his fingers off. And so the fish uh, ate one of them. And the interesting thing is they caught that fish eight miles uh, away from where the accident happened. So um, that, to me, that's a strange thing. Open a fish and find a human finger. Um, in England, a man was walking along the beach uh, and he dropped his cell phone uh, in the water. Uh, and a week later, now this was, a, this, was a, this was a while back, so it was one of those old Nokia uh, cell phones. Um, a, a week later, a man caught a 23-pound cod. When he went to clean the cod, he found this phone inside of the cod. He took the SIM card out, all right, replaced it in his phone and was able to reach the guy's girlfriend and said, hey, I found this phone inside the cod. And here's the crazy thing. The guy got his phone back and I don't know if he put it in rice or whatever, but after it dried out, it worked. Your iPhone's not going to do that. Uh, maybe we need to go back to those Nokias. <clears throat> also in England. Uh, a man named Christopher Edgington and his girlfriend Sandra, they had caught uh, a mess of fish and they kept two or three uh, that they were going to clean and eat. And so she was in the middle of cleaning them and she just screamed with delight and excitement. So he rushed to see what was going on. And inside the belly of this fish, she found a diamond engagement ring. Now, Christopher was smooth. 
He acted like he had planned it all along, so he dropped right there and proposed to her, uh, and she said yes. Um, he later admitted that uh, he just was trying to save money, um, and he was going to ask her anyway, and so he took the, uh, the opportunity to ask her when she found that ring. So hopefully they will live guppy ever after. All right, boo. All right, the next one speaks for itself. Uh, a guy in Texas caught this fish, and, and just look who's poking their little head out of this fish mouth. For many of you, that fish is going right back in the water, right? For me, it would be if there was a mouse in there, I'd throw it away. All right, <clears throat> um, one more. In Poland, this was years ago, a man caught a 413-pound Wells catfish. Well, inside of the fish's belly... He found a World War II German Nazi cap badge and a number of human bone fragments. Lots of crazy things can be found inside the belly of a fish. Now, all the things that we mentioned are there by chance. Something is thrown or dropped into the water. The fish sees it shine and swallows it. Well, this morning, we're going to read about a fish that a man named Peter the Apostle caught, and the fish had something inside of it that didn't get there through happenstance, but through divine intervention. All right, and so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 17 today, and we're going to start in verse 24. Matthew 17, 24 says this, when they, this is Jesus, Peter, the Apostles, came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? In other words, is Jesus not going to pay his taxes here? What's going on, Peter? So let me, let me set the scene. This is towards the end of the life of Jesus. All right, he and his apostles are going to make their way back to the region where they're from, the Galilean region. They go into Capernaum, all right, and someone approaches Peter and asks Peter if Jesus had a habit of paying this two drachma tax. Uh, let me explain real, real quick what that is. Um, the, the, this is called the two drachma tax, but it is also called the temple tax. All right. And this is different from the Roman tax. Um, during the life of Jesus, the, the Jewish people were under Roman rule. They were under Roman oppression. And for whatever reason, the Romans taxed the mess out of the Jews. You think you pay high taxes. It, it pales in, into comparison to what these people ha had to, to pay. So they were heavily taxed by, by uh, the Roman government. In addition to paying Roman taxes, the Jewish people also had to pay what was called the two drachma tax, or some of your translations will say the temple tax. A, a drachma, just in passing, is a, is a day's uh, wage for a skilled worker. So in our economy, in our country, this would be about $200 per person that they had to pay this tax uh, on, on the temple. If you were a male and you were 20 years or older, uh, you were responsible for paying this tax. 
This tax was used for the operation and the upkeep of God's temple. Okay, now, the, the men asking Peter this, uh, it's, it's not the typical tax collector we think of when we think of the New Testament, those who, who were Jewish but they worked for Rome. Uh, the, these are patriotic uh, Jewish tax collectors, and they are collecting money for God's temple. So they ask Peter, hey, does your master, does your rabbi, does this Jesus, does he pay the temple tax like the rest of us? Okay, because it seems on surface that Jesus isn't super supportive of what goes on in the temple. He's in constant conflict with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the priests who run and operate the temple. As a matter of fact, Peter, I kind of remember a couple times when Jesus came in and he just made the place a mess. He started turning tables over and got a whip out and was driving people out of the temple. Wasn't, Jesus, wasn't it your, your rabbi that said he would destroy the temple? And then rebuild it in three days. He's in constant conflict. So rumors are already kind of circulating that Jesus was disloyal when it came to things about the temple. So what this guy is asking is this. Does Jesus pay this tax? Is he a good Jew? Is he supportive? Now, if you know anything at all about Peter, Peter constantly had athlete's foot in his mouth because he was constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. He was constantly speaking out of turn. Um, he was very, very impulsive. And so as soon as the guy asked him this question, here's what Peter says, verse 25. Five. Yes. That's all he says. Yes, he pays the tax. Peter had no idea whether or not Jesus paid this tax, but I think he thought he was protecting Jesus. He says, yep, he pays the tax. Look what happens next. And when he, Peter, came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Okay, here's essentially what Jesus is saying. Peter, we know that kings live large. And the reason they live large is because they tax the mess out of people. They are wealthy on the backs of hardworking people. We don't call them kings today. We call them politicians. All right. That this is essentially what he's saying. And so he, he's saying, listen, the, the king's child doesn't pay taxes. All right. Keep that tucked away in your brain. Let's go to verse 26. And when he said, from others, Peter's answering his question. No, the son of the king doesn't pay tax. Everyone else pays tax. From others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Now we're going to come back. We're going to circle around and come back to that verse in a few because I think this is the real heart of the passage here. But I want to, I want to flesh out the rest of, uh, of the story. So go to verse 27. Jesus says, however, not to give offense to them. Here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, Peter, you're free not to pay the tax. I'm free not to pay the tax, but we're going to pay it anyway for the sake of not putting an obstacle in the way of my message. Because after he leaves here, Jesus is going to march to Jerusalem and, and be crucified. So I don't want anything to get in the way of that. So we're going to pay the tax. So here's how we're going to pay it. Go to the sea 
and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, the first fish that you catch. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. A shekel was worth four drachma. Take it and give it to them for me and yourself. Okay, so I'm going to resolve the situation, Jesus says. Go catch a fish. When you catch the fish, open its mouth, and there's going to be a coin, and that coin will pay the temple tax for both you and I. So Peter goes out, catches a fish, opens his mouth. He doesn't find a diamond ring, a Nokia cell phone, a human finger, or the bones of a Nazi. He finds a coin, and he's able to pay the temple tax. So if I could push the pause button right here and say this, I think this passage is not preached on a lot, or I I haven't heard it preached on a lot. I've heard it preached on a few times, and every time I've heard it preached on, it's kind of in this window. Should Christians pay tax? No matter what the tax is, should we pay tax? And we talk about paying taxes, and we say, see, it's the right thing to do. Jesus had Peter pay the tax, so we we got to pay our taxes. And so we focus on federal, uh, state, and local taxes. Of course, we should, we should pay tax, all right? I'm not going to go that route this morning because I want you to see the deeper meaning of this passage. Because I, I think in this passage, we find the why we should be fishers of men. We find the motivation for us to fish for people and win them to Christ. And I think the motivation is found in verse 26. Told you we'd circle back around. I'm going to read 25 and 26, the whole conversation together. And he said, yes. And he came into the house. Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons Or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. So let me remind you, in this culture, as in any kind of monarchy today, the king's son does not pay taxes. Did you know that? Why do you think the king's son doesn't pay taxes? Because his father's the king. It's his father's palace. It's his father's kingdom. The king's son doesn't pay taxes, but everyone else's son pays taxes. And I want to remind you of that imagery because here's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, the temple of God belongs to my father. I'm the son of God. I am Lord. I don't have to pay temple tax because essentially this is my temple. I'm not responsible to pay taxes. And so he's showing us, remember, he's getting ready to go get crucified. He's showing us a glimpse right here of his lordship. He's telling Peter and he's telling us, I am Lord. And so one of, if not the primary reason as to why we fish for men and women, it's because Jesus is our Lord And he told us that's what we should do. Because he is Lord, we love him and we obey his commandments. Now, that's a dirty little word in today's culture, to obey, right? Ain't nobody going to tell me to obey anymore. Um, So let me say this. To obey someone is not a bad thing, especially 
if you love that person. So I'll do some weddings here and there in the community. And uh, one of the things I do is I meet with the couple to kind of plan the ceremony and ask questions. Are you going to write your own vows? Are you going to, you want me to write them, this, that, and the other. But one of the questions I ask is, hey, are there any scriptures that you want in, in this wedding? Any of your favorite scriptures? And, and a lot of times they have a hard time thinking of favorite scripture. But more often than not, the female will say, well, there's one thing I don't want in, in there. I don't want that part about I'm going to love and obey him because I don't obey nobody, right? Okay, that's because I think she's looking at the word obey in the wrong light. She's looking at a dog and a master, right? Ain't no man going, I ain't going to follow no man around and do whatever he tells me to do. I don't think this is not the type of obedience that I'm talking about here. I'm talking about an obedience that is birthed not from fear, but an obedience that is birthed from love. So let me say this, and before you start throwing things, let me finish. I think wives should obey their husbands because they love them. I also think husbands should obey their wives because they love them. I've been married uh, this December will be 17 years that uh, Lindy and I have, have been married. And I say this, and I know some of you are going to roll your eyes. Uh, we almost never fight. We just don't. Uh, we, we, we don't live in a house of conflict. Uh, we don't argue. We don't, we're not passive aggressive and huff and puff and give each other the sign treatment. We, we almost never fight. However, you know, when you get married, there's things that you have to learn uh, to do and not to do. Uh, even the most perfect couple, when you take two sinners and you put them in a the house, there's going to be issues, there's going to be conflicts. So I, I found out pretty quick out of the gate, probably my first year or two of marriage, that um, I, I had this habit of doing something that drove Lindy absolutely crazy. Okay. And here's what it was. If I saw something that I didn't agree with or I didn't like or I thought was lame. Um, I have a little bit of sarcasm and cynicism in me. I'm that guy in our house. Um, and, and I didn't like it. Here's what I would do. That's it. That's all I would do. When I made that noise, it drove Lindy crazy to the point she's like, you have got to stop. I cannot tell you. It's driving me crazy when you do that. Okay. I love her, so I obeyed her. I obeyed her wishes. I don't do that, at least around her anymore, right? <laughs> because she's my wife. I, I love her, and I'm going to obey her wishes. I'm her husband. She loves me. She's going to obey my wishes. If you love somebody and they love you, you're going to obey each other's wishes. So hear me. If we love Jesus, and there's no question that Jesus loves you, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only begotten son. So there's no question. If we love Jesus, we're going to do what he asked us to do, right? Jesus said as much in John 14, 15, when he said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know what he's saying there, essentially? If you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you're going to do what I wish. If you love me, you're going to do what I tell you. And so the primary wish that Jesus has for you and me is simply this. Get your net, get your pole, and go fish. 
That's what, he, that's what our purpose in life is, to witness to people. Isn't that what the Great Commission was? Go into all the earth, go everywhere, go to every fishing hole you can, wherever the fish are, and, and win people to the Lord, teaching them to obey the things I commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is his wish. So why do we fish for men? Because we love Jesus and we want to be obedient to his wishes. And we fish for people because Jesus is our Lord. He is greater than the temple. He is greater than the Roman Empire. He is greater than any created thing you can think of. He is greater than any man or woman or person who has ever lived. He is the point to all this. He is the single greatest thing in the universe. He told his followers as much in Matthew chapter 12 when he said this. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. You see, he's greater than the temple because he is Lord. And because of that, out of love and commitment, we do what he wishes, fish for men. So let me offer you another motivation to why we should fish for people uh, as if his lordship wouldn't be enough for us. I'm going to reread the conversation again. I know this is the third time, uh, verses 25 and 26. He said, yes, when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or taxes? From their sons or from others? And then Peter said, from others. Don't miss what Jesus said here. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. I just want you to notice the last line there, verse 26, the sons are free. He didn't say the son is free. He said the sons are free. And I love the point Jesus is making to Peter. He's saying, listen, I'm the son of God, Peter. I am free, but you also follow me. I am your Lord, and you are not only free, but you are also a son of God. In other words, you, you don't have to any longer be chained up with man-made religion, right? Religion that tells you, here's how you should comb your hair. Here's the length of your skirt or your culottes. Here's the translation of the Bible you should read. Here's what you should watch. Here's what you have to do. No, Jesus came to break free of all of that. And, and, and so essentially what Jesus is, is saying is, listen, Coming into the temple doesn't save anybody, Peter. Paying tithes and taxes doesn't save you. There's no found freedom in any of that. It is only found in me. And since I am free and I am your Lord, you too are also not only free, but you are a son of God. A little later in Scripture, the Apostle Paul would echo those sentiments in Romans chapter 8, picking up in verse 16 when he says this, The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are what? Children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, and don't miss this, and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, I love that term, fellow heirs with Christ, because that term shows how our sonship is connected to Christ's sonship. 
We are sons and daughters along with Jesus Christ when we were in Christ. Not that we are divine like him, but we share in his inheritance just as we share in his righteousness. So I want you to just pause for a minute and I want you to think about something. Uh, I want you to think about the people you love most in your life. Now, a lot of them might be here. You might be sitting next to them. Uh, A lot of them might be in other towns and cities and they're in the Lord and they're worshiping the Lord. But I'm going to dare say that most of us in here have people that we love dearly that are lost. They don't know Jesus. They are wrapped up in their sins. What are we going to do to remedy that? Are we just going to sit and watch them flounder and flop and, and, and try to breathe like a fish out of water? I mean, or are we going to let them know that Jesus saves because he is Lord? And in Jesus, they can have the same freedom and sonship. I mean, this ought to motivate the mess out of us to fish for souls. The people that we love need Jesus. Look at verse 27 as we wind this thing down. Jesus says, however, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook. Let me stop right there. Remember what Jesus was, or what Peter was before he was an apostle? What was he? Yeah, but he fished. He was a commercial fisherman. He didn't use hooks. He used nets. All right, he was trying to catch a lot of fish. Jesus says, hey, just get a hook. (laughs) Go throw it in the sea. The first fish, well, let's read it. Take it, the first fish that comes up, when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take it and give, give it to them for me and yourself. Just take a hook, first fish you catch. I love this because here's what I think. Of all the fish in the Sea of Galilee, millions and millions of fish, a lot of tilapia in the Sea of Galilee, of all the fish in the sea, You're going to throw it in. The first one that you catch, you're going to pull it up, open its mouth, and you don't have to worry about the tax anymore. I love what John Piper says about this miracle. He's a preacher up in Minnesota. He says this, The point of the miracle is that when you act in freedom and in love and not under coercion or constraint, God himself works for you in ways that you could never even dream. And I love that because that's true. God has worked for me in ways that I could never even imagine. Think about the feeding of the 5,000 for just a second. All right, Jesus, we got 5,000 men here, but with women and children, it's probably more like 20,000. This little guy here, he brought a snack pack from Long John Silver's. He's got, you know, two two fish sticks and, you know, he got some extra biscuits or something. But what are we going to do? Jesus says, all right, group them up, coordinate them. Here, you take a little piece of bread, you take a fish, now go feed them. This is like a bite-sized snack for one person. Go back and reread the feeding of the 5,000. The miracle didn't happen. Jesus didn't all of a sudden a warehouse of fish and bread appear. He just told the disciples, go. And as they started handing it out, the food just kept multiplying in their hands. You see, God works in ways that, that we would never imagine. And the point is not that God's always going to work 
a miracle for you to get you out of some kind of scrape that you're in, but that he will do whatever he has to do to help you pursue the path of freedom and sacrificial love. A path that, let's be honest, at one time in your life might have seemed impossible to you. See, that's what he's in the business of doing. He wants us to share with other people so that they too can be freed from their sins, call themselves sons and daughters of the one true king. He is Lord. We love people. That's why we are fishers of men. There's an old sermon illustration. It's been around for for years. I I, I love it. Um, It involves an old man who's walking on the beach, and it's just as the sun's coming up. Dawn is just breaking, and He's walking down the beach, and he sees all these starfish just everywhere on the beach, and he sees this younger man um, just walking down the beach, picking starfish up and just slinging them back into the ocean. And So he, he comes up to the young man. He says, what are you doing? He says, listen, the young man says, if these starfish are left when the, when the sun comes out, they're going to dry up. They're all going to die. And the old man looks down the beach, and he says, he says there are millions of starfish And it just goes on and on forever. How can your effort make any difference in the world? And the young man looked at the starfish that was in his hand, cast it back into the ocean, back into safety, looked at the old man and said, well, it sure made a difference to this one, didn't it? There are billions of people who if the world ended today, would die without Jesus and go to hell. You're not going to be able to save billions. I'm not going to be able to save billions. But we certainly can help try to save those who God puts right in front of us. Like, we we get this idea of, I'm just going to go up to a complete stranger and start this. Well, let's start with the people that we work with, we go to school with, we share a house with, we share the same last name with, the people that are close to us in love, and then work from there. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.